Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And for those of you who've been tracking, that's Brian. Don't do it, McCain. Don't tell. Brian D. McCain. Don't tell. Don't tell. We have all of those. So we um, are excited. We have another candidate on our show today. Uh, but before we get um, get into a deep conversation with Lang Size, who is running for the treasurer, we have a couple of updates that we want um, to make sure that uh, that you're aware of, especially with regard to the veteran stuff. Yeah. So um, earlier or last week, um, Director Kilmer of the Eastern Colorado Healthcare System, basically the VA director for the hospitals on this side of the mountain and clinics and what have you um he's hosting town halls so he's getting out to the communities quarterly and meeting with uh local elected officials community members veteran advocates and where it stands now fremont county they're serving 2500 veterans they do not have their own va clinic and he's going to move forward with that i believe um the paperwork has not been filed yet so one thing that is action 22 we're asking is if you live in fremont county and you would like to see your own veterans clinic there so you don't have to drive to Salida or Colorado Springs or Pueblo, please contact your elected officials on a federal level. So that would be U.S. Congressman Lamborn and Senator Bennett and Hickenlooper and say, hey, we need a VA clinic here in Fremont County. With the population now, it it basically allows for two full-time uh, full-care Team, so that's you know that could be a doctor, or a PA, along with a nurse and a caseworker administrator. I think is how it works. So he's going to put it in, so he says, and I believe him. But if we get that advocacy to our elected officials, that's just more muscle to get the VA to approve that when they go forward. And the timeline we're looking, if all goes well, it could be within two years. So what they what they need to do is send a letter or just reach out or uh, just what uh, do they need just to do? send a letter to um, you could do it to the local offices here. Uh, Senator Bennett has one in Pueblo. Hickenlooper has one in Springs, and then obviously Congressman Lamborn is in Springs as well. And I'd recommend copying Representative Bobert on it right. also because with redistricting, Fremont County is going. I believe it's going to fall in her district. Um, I yeah, I, I think it is. So um, ju- just, you know, blast it out there. Just just tell them, hey, we want a VA clinic here. We have enough veterans. Please put a VA, VA clinic in Fremont County. Now, they haven't decided on the site. You know, you, you obviously have Florence and you have Canyon City. Um, they don't know if they're going to build a new one or lease a facility that's already in existence. But, again, this is just the initial steps, and we could have a VA clinic there in two years. So we've just learned from uh, recent activities that your voice really does matter on this. It really does make a difference when you um, let them know um, what you're wanting or what you're looking for. And um, directing Director Kilmer is just an amazing, amazing man. And with his team, he's really working hard for this. So if he's going to put himself out there to go up and ask 
um, for that to happen in Fremont County, the best thing that you can do is to support that ask. And you can do that just by um, letting your congressional um, folks know. If you, for some reason, can't or don't know how to get that in contact information, it's all on, all you have to do is Google it. But if you're still having trouble, um, let us know at show at action22.org and we'll help you guys out with that. So anything else? That's what I have. Okay. All right, so let's get into our conversation with Lang. Um, Lang is running, as I said, for treasurer. And of course, we had Dave Young on a few weeks ago. So we were really happy that you reached out and wanted um, to do this as well. You know, it's been interesting for the last um, little bit as you get into the more of the drama of elections <laughs> that um, debates and these having these conversations with not just our, our listeners, but with the people that are voting. Voting, that um, it feels like the conversations sometimes get hijacked. Um, there's a lot of back and forth. You don't get to know the candidates as well as you might like. These are the people who you are going to be selecting to represent you. So we've felt the need, the pressure, that the thing that we can do to best serve all of you is to continue to have these conversations in um, that are just genuine and real in an unsanitized, un structured just who all of these folks really are. Um, and then let you know so that you can make a decision, not based on whatever media outlet says, this is what happened or that's what happened or however, but genuinely to have this discussion. So we really appreciate um, it's That's a scary thing for these candidates to not know, like, you know, are we going to do gotcha? Are we going to have it? You know, they want to know everything so they can plan it out. So being brave enough to have an actual conversation really is a big deal, and it should indicate to you and all Action 22 members. Of course, Lang is an Action 22 member. That's what we do for our members. But um, as the members who are listening and other people around the state, just be aware that this is this is kind of a big deal for them to run, but to have these conversations in this manner, um, and we applaud them for doing that. So let's start with... Um, Let's start with a little bit of background from you, Lang, and why you decided to run for this particular seat. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you all both very much for the chance to be here. I actually really enjoy having uh, sort of longer form conversations, especially on issues which can be a little bit nerdy and complicated, but are very, very <laughs> important for the uh, uh, for the state. So thanks. Thanks for the chance to be here and, and, and for the chance to do it in person. Um, so my name is Lang Sias, and I am the Republican candidate for state treasurer. Uh, a little bit of background, just so you get to know where I'm coming from. Uh, my wife and I have lived in, uh, in Colorado for 22 years now, uh, been in uh, Jefferson County in our in Arvada. Uh, we have three kids. Our oldest uh, just started as a freshman at the Colorado School of Mines this fall. We're very proud of her. And then the two boys, the uh, the hooligans, are in Jefferson County Public Schools right now in seventh and ninth grade. So we're sort of right in the thick of all of this stuff and, and feel very much like we have skin in the game uh, as parents. Uh, moving backwards, I grew up in a with a small business literally in the basement, a small manufacturing firm that my my, uh, my dad had started, neither of my parents were able to graduate from college, but very smart, hardworking folks who started something and, and built it. So my first job was sweeping up metal shavings on the floor of a machine shop and uh, uh, watch people come and go and working right in our basement. Uh, fast forward to being a, a grown-up here in Colorado, 
uh, was able to work with a lot of entrepreneurs, specifically in the technology area, helping them try and build their businesses. Again, often just starting with an idea. And I mention that because that sort of gut level respect for folks who form the bedrock of our economy, our small businesses, um, is something that has always really driven me and I think is important uh, up at the Capitol, regardless of what job you hold up there and certainly regarding anything to do with the economic policy. Uh, I had the privilege of serving in the military for a total of 27 years as a fighter pilot in the Navy and in the Air National Guard, Uh, made a few trips overseas, have a huge amount of respect and humility for the people I served with, and and no more so than in Pueblo here, that is a community that has produced so many true American heroes. Uh, Had the chance to serve as a instructor out of Top Gun for about three and a half years, which people seem interested in because of the (laughs) the movies, and all, all I will tell you is that the real thing involves a lot less suntan suntan oil and beach time than the movies would lead you to believe um so so that's sure. actually very fitting on your microphone right now uh, that actually is removed before removed before flight so you were the first guest that that actually makes sense with on the well show, I, so. I appreciate i appreciate you having it there i hope you didn't want me to remove it from the microphone before i started talking but thanks thanks a lot uh, and then, and then I had the opportunity to serve in the legislature for for four years, representing uh, Jefferson County. Was on the business committee, education committee, public health committee, which was actually a great uh, uh, lesson in working with some of our uh, more disadvantaged communities and the programs that that serve them. And I think to sort of to summarize my time in the legislature, I would say that I uh, worked very hard at, at being responsible fiscally, and still found a way to reach across the aisle and actually get good things done. Um, specifically, we uh, got first in the nation pro-school choice legislation passed because I think all kids are different and the parents deserve to pick a school that works for them within the public school system. Uh, we worked on health care transparency, frankly, some predatorial practices that just weren't fair. Um, and then finally, and, and probably most relevant to this job, uh, in 2018, I was one of a bipartisan group that got together to uh, do some much needed, frankly, emergency reforms to our public pension system para which was really in a very very bad way and i think we did that in a way that was both um uh protected and preserved para for its members and was also fair to the taxpayers and we'll probably talk a little bit more about para um i'm running for this for this position you know a because i have a passion for service and i find the issues interesting and i think i have a very relevant background to them and also because i think it is time to restore some balance to our statewide leadership on economic issues you know frankly i think as we all know here colorado leads the nation in some measures of inflation here over the last year and a half uh, whether it's in transportation or housing or food or or energy this is not where we want to be number one but in in fact we are And I believe that a portion of that is because we've had single party rule and we've passed some legislation that, frankly, regardless of how well-meaning it may be, um, and I'll never question folks' motive, these second and third order consequences have been to drive up costs for families and small businesses. And so I am very focused on trying to reduce those costs on people. And I will work as treasurer. First of all, I'll, I'll run the office in a frugal and efficient manner, try and lead by example there, um, because this is the taxpayer's money that we are spending in managing the office and the programs that it oversees. Um, Two, I'll be a strong and independent voice for PARA 
Um, we are going to continue to need good leadership there. And I've sat for the last three years on a subcommittee that oversees Paris, so I've been deeply involved with it. Uh, three, I will defend our taxpayer bill of rights. I think it's an extremely important that we get to vote on tax increases and also that we get to keep those uh, refunds um, unless we give our permission for the government to hang on to all our portion of them. Uh, four, I will work very, very hard to see that we do cost-benefit analysis of the legislation we pass and the rules that are made, because again, uh, we need to know what the indirect consequences of these pieces of legislation are. Often they have costs that are very, very significant for people and small businesses. And finally, I want to see us judge ourselves, not just by how much money we spend on particular areas, but how that money is being spent and what are the actual results that we are getting. And we can talk about that a little bit more, maybe in the education space. I love it. So let me ask you, and then Brian's going to have some questions about the veteran piece because that's something he worked so, so hard on. Um, you know, it's interesting to me as I talk with candidates who are members and um, they're running for office and some of the questions they get and so forth. So let me just ask you, what is the actual job of the treasurer? It, uh, it, the treasury is, res- and the treasurer is responsible for a number of things. For example, uh, there is money that the treasury office is responsible for managing, money that comes in through taxes and fees and then is held by the treasury until it is sent out to whatever it has been appropriated for. So that money has to be managed. Now, there is a, a team of investment professionals at the, tre- at the department and a CFO who has, in everything I've heard, a great reputation. And there are very strictly defined rules on how that money can be invested because it has to be done safely. It has to, it has to be liquid and so forth. Um, so that is one of the things that the Treasury does. Um, it also manages uh, an uncl- unclaimed property, which is a whole separate separate issue. Um, it also uh, is responsible for doing short-term uh, funding. It's a funding backstop for school districts and charter schools because sometimes money comes in, the money that comes in for the schools doesn't come in when they need it. So there, that, there's an important role there. There can also be a role in participating in, fi- in financings for, for schools and for uh, our university system. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to do refinancings and so forth, which um, will be harder as interest rates are, are rising. Um, also, money passes through the, tre- the Treasury, for example, for example, highway funds, um, as it transitions from the, fe- the federal government to uh, the actual local governments where some of that money gets spent. So there's a whole wide range of things that the Treasury Department does and and I and they are all very important. I do think there's a difference between what I would call important but sort of ministerial tasks and the reason that this is an elected office. And I think the reason it is an elected office is all about leadership. And there are some areas where the treasurer has a significant amount of discretion and can weigh in on things that are incredibly important for the state. One is that the treasurer is a board member of PARA, of our Public Employer Retirement mm-hmm. System, and is on there uh, to represent the, you know, four-plus million folks, uh, voters in, in, in Colorado, and uh, always has a fiduciary duty to the, to the members, but that is a very important role. PARA sort of sits where I would, I would say the, the intersection of extremely important and perhaps not so sexy 
but it's 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 incredible an incredibly important role. The other thing that the treasurer can do is uh, is judiciously weigh in on matters of economic policy for the for the state. Um, whether it is the impacts of, of legislation on taxpayers, um, and so that's a, a, a very important role that that uh, done properly, I think, really adds to the discussion. And you can use the bully pulpit of that office as many treasurers, including the current one, have done. Um, and I intend to do it as a as an advocate for the taxpayers, as a friend of the taxpayers, to try and reduce costs for them and for small businesses in particular. Does that answer your question? Yeah, excellent. So, so going back to that, uh, and we brought it up on the show with every candidate that's come up that how hard inflation has hit Colorado. Like you said, I think we're number one or tied with number one. And on average, it's about $976 more a month for a person to basically live. Yep. Um, if you would have went back a year ago, maybe even six months ago, the excuse for, from somebody running for office is like, hey, this is a nationwide thing. But now we're seeing this as a Colorado issue. This isn't across the board with the other states. In fact, you have surrounding states that are, you know, it's not impacting them hardly at all, uh, bordering Colorado. So with your economic background and understanding, what what do you think? And you, you did mention that there's unintended consequences of legislation. Sure. And that hits us the hardest here in the Action 22 area because we're rural. We're already hurting. Without inflation, we're some of the poorest communities in the state, if not That's the right. country. So in your opinion, what, what has really led to this? Is it, is it the unintended consequences of regulation and legislation in the state? And how could the treasurer, if you win, um, actually impact that and help alleviate this inflation and make better decisions? Sure, I think I think the treasurer can be a very very uh, important voice if you're in, if you're informed and you and you act resp- and you act responsibly, um, and yes, there have been unintended consequences of legislation. Let's just take a couple of a couple of examples. Um, we have green building codes now, um, which I, I don't doubt the sincerity of the folks that passed this, but. Uh, but independent nonpartisan analysis is now showing that that those are going to drive up the average cost of a home by between twelve and thirteen thousand dollars and much more in some cases. And, you know, that is not we have a serious affordability problem in housing, availability problem in housing. Is that really what we needed to layer on top of that at this time? We've also seen a massive transportation bill that was that was passed, um, and I would argue that it was done uh, very cleverly to avoid uh, a vote of the people. Um, we got around our taxpayer bill of rights to to pass it. It includes eleven new fees and four new enterprises um, in in order to. Uh, it generate um, money, 40% of which, according to the Denver Post, is not actually going to be spent on roads. Now, again, we can have a discussion about whether that is good policy or not, but the bottom line is it's having an impact mm-hmm. on people's ability to to afford uh, just doing the basics of life, putting gas, putting gas in their car, getting to work, and so forth. And there, there are a number of other examples, whether it's an energy policy, health care policy, housing, labor, and so forth. But I think it is a, it is a mindset that um, has put ideology over actual cost-benefit analysis to try and figure out 
what is best for folks, especially people uh, in our in our rural areas and folks that are that are really hurting. You know, there are plenty of people here who may you know the the eighty dollars or ninety dollars that it may cost them to fill fill a car with gas um, is an annoyance, um, but they can do it. For other people, it's absolutely a choice between that and how they're going to feed their family. And of course, the and of course, the flip side, if I can just continue for a minute, is, is, you know, what we are seeing is that the way that inflation is going to be hopefully brought down by our Federal Reserve. Now, this is, of course, the federal level, but is to drive up interest rates um, and potentially a slowdown in the economy. And I think we're seeing some of that now. Um, Who gets hurt the worst in that situation it's the people at the bottom, same yeah. as the people at the bottom that get hit worse with inflation. So from where I sit, you know, the the party that claims to to represent folks uh, uh, at the bottom of the of the economic ladder is, in fact, um, uh, is, in fact, invoking policies, creating policies that are having a very negative impact on the group that they claim to want to help. Yeah. And, and for our listeners out there, if you go to our YouTube channel, um, Sarah goes on a rant specifically about the energy side of it and how it's going to impact our communities down here. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the you gave the estimate, you know, twelve to thirteen thousand dollars like that's conservative because yeah. it's more what we understand and the people we've talked to. We're talking twenty thousand dollar for families that live on an income, you know, thirty two thousand right. dollars a year. Right. And, and that's just, again, go look at our rant on YouTube. It's absolutely brutal. And you can look back at the legislation that was passed yeah. in, in 2019 regarding energy. And what was essentially, what that essentially did was remove economic considerations and cost benefit analysis from that whole process. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think there's anybody that doesn't want a, you know, we all want an economy, an environment that is clean and safe and getting cleaner and safer all the time. No dispute there whatsoever. Um, we also want and I think need a reliable sl- supply of affordable energy because we have to live our lives, run our businesses and so forth. And so good policy should be seeking to find a place where those two intersect. And we may disagree on where exactly that is, but we're, if we're all motivated by seeking that balance, we're going to get to a pretty good place. But when we take one of those off the table – that's when we're going to be disappointed both in quality and in price. And you have a, a record of um, bipartisanship to find solutions in state legislature, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I, well, you sort of it, it, driven, if nothing else, but not necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in the when I was in the House, we were in a significant minority there, mm-hmm. and then the Republicans at that time had a uh, Kevin Grantham was a was the Senate president, so it had a one vote majority in the Senate. Now that did not guarantee that everyone would vote together. Um, but the fact that there was that balance was actually pretty helpful. Um, I would have to work as a House member. I'd have to have a plan for how I was going to get a piece of legislation you know, assigned to the right committee where I was going to get a fair hearing through that committee, passed on the, on the floor of the House, obviously with a bunch of Democrats uh, in agreement, and then have a plan to get it through the Senate and get Governor Hickenlooper at the time to sign it. That's a bit of a challenge, mm-hmm. but that's what you have to do if you, if you actually want to get something done in a, uh, in, a, in a state with balanced leadership. We don't have that balance right now, and I think a lot of the legislation that has been passed that has these second and third order consequences passed without a single Republican vote. 
And so there is not the dialogue and the compromise um, that you would look for in a uh, in a state like this. It's just not happening right now. So one of the things, and that it's wildly important, uh, and by the way, I think that uh, for somebody that's that's in your position or that is running for that position um, has to have is that uh, history of, of um, being functioning in the legislature. The reason that it's so important in Colorado is because Colorado is unique in its fiscal policy and it's all around that taxpayer bill of rights that we talked about, or you hear it a lot um, said Tabor. Talk a little bit, tell us what Tabor is and what that looks like. Well, to, to, yeah, as, as you all know, it would, it, we, it would take a longer discussion to go through every <laughs> nuance. But the essential pieces are that, first of all, if we're going to raise taxes, that we have to ask the voters' permission. And second of all, um, that, that our, the growth of government is, is limited to inflation plus population growth. Mm-hmm. And if we have more revenues than that, and again, I'm really simplifying here, um, that there is a then return of that money to the taxpayers. And there is a priority in how that money gets returned that I will, I will not talk about. It just takes yeah. too long. Um, to me, it, Tabor is important for two reasons, and it really boils down to two things. It boils down to uh, forcing a dialogue, a conversation between our elected leaders and the constituents, the people they serve. We have to have that conversation. And it provides accountability because it says to the constituents, look, you can say we don't like the way you're spending our money or we want to know more. We want to know more detail. And and that provides an extra level of accountability that is really unique to Colorado and is one of the reasons many people think that we have maintained our state's credit rating at such a high level. Um, and I, I feel very strongly that taper is important and I've always been a staunch defender of it. Um, I do think that this is a, a distinguishing, this is a clear distinction between myself and my opponent in the race. And by the way, our current treasurer is someone who I served with like him personally, we just have different views on economic issues. Um, so for example, uh, in 2019, um, while he was the sitting treasurer, he was one of the leading voices advocating for Proposition CC, which you all may recall mm-hmm. was going to end uh, Tabor refunds, not just in that year, but forever. Um, and the voters, uh, uh, the voters said no, and they voted that down by over 7%, despite the fact that a lot of money was spent supporting that, that measure. Well, uh, now, of course, we're in this situation where folks are getting a $750 uh, refund this year, conveniently just a few weeks before the, the election. Um, you know, I, I, two things I'll say about that $750. Um, first of all, the current treasurer did not want you to have it because if CC had passed, you would not be getting it. Um, and second of all, you know, for, for all the folks who are uh, sort of trying to take credit and saying, please elect me because of the $750. People need to know that, first of all, folks were going to get that money anyway. Um, and second of all, uh, a lot of people uh, on, on the other side of the aisle actually worked hard to try and make this not happen. And so I think that's a very clear distinction between, uh, between us. And another thing about that $750, as Brian, as you mentioned, um, that only gets you part of the way uh, to covering the monthly costs that you are paying as a result of inflation over the last year and a half. So it doesn't get you anywhere near 
uh, to even. Yeah, and as somebody that drives about 100 miles a day to drop kids off to school, that's a, that's a big one. And, and you're right. <laughs> we do the same. Not not a, not a hundred, but it's yeah. it's a lot, and you watch the gauge go down pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, it, it's tough. Um, and, and I appreciate that. And as you know, Action 22, we don't endorse political parties or candidates at sure. all. We're, you know, we're looking at this from an Action 22 perspective. Um, but I, I understand that there is a need for balance. Um, and with balance, you know, it, I think it opens the dialogue. You can get more done with balance to hear the perspective of the others. And, and honestly, some of the um, elected officials from our region, um, they don't always side with their counterparts up in Denver because nope. they have a, a different view of it. And that's where Action 22 is lucky because, um, you know, we're 99.9% in agreement when these issues come to the table, no matter party or affiliation at all here. So. Yeah. No, and and I certainly saw that in the in in the leg, in the legislature, um, you could have divisions based on party, but you could also have divisions based on metro rural issues that mm-hmm. just uh, that just worked out differently. I mean, I know from talking to folks in the rural areas around the state, um, one of the and this this is true on the front range as well, but it's 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 magnified mm-hmm. these areas. It is very difficult for small business people the the two complaints they have. Um, one is that their input costs are rising so fast that they can't find a way to pass them to pass them on. So it's it's eating into margins, and in some cases, folks are going out of business. Um, two is it's very very difficult to find people to work um, uh, at the, at these jobs. And I I spoke to uh, uh, to one uh, uh, gentleman in the in the valley a couple of months ago um, in a big uh, distributing company, it's a food distribution company. And he said they had been trying so hard to find people to work um, and were unsuccessful at it that they had spent millions of dollars on automation. Mm-hmm. And his point was, know you know, if, if and yeah, when, if and when wow. want those jobs back they're they're frankly not going to be there. And it was money that they wouldn't have spent, but they were sort of driven to it by the, by the labor situation. So going back to education, yeah. um, you, you mentioned that. So what does the treasurer have to do with education? Well, the, the I mean, I mentioned a couple of the 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 funding mechanisms, and there's also something called the the best program, which which helps for funding for for infrastructure. What I was really referring to there, this is more on the how do you use the bully okay. pulpit side, and and having been on the education committee, I've been uh, and and very interested in these issues for quite some time. Um, but but let me tell you, uh, several years ago, um, I partnered with a. Uh, uh, another uh, woman who was who was interested in this issue as well, and we took a very close look at how our dollars were actually being spent across all of our 178 school districts in the state, and we sort of generated a a massive spreadsheet, which I'll Wait, be happy to share. That? that was in 2018. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was right as I was leaving the, the, the legislature and was, you know, I was the, I was the small font on the Republican, uh, gubernatorial ticket in 2018. So, so, uh, I was the lieutenant governor candidate. But, um, th- what we discovered then was just recently in the last week reaffirmed by up an updated study, again, done by nonpartisan folks. And here were the takeaways on our, some of our education spending. Uh, in the last 14 years, they said that our per pupil spending statewide, and of course this all varies district by district, but per pupil spending statewide had gone up 45%. Teacher pay had gone up only 27%. 
And what they found is that we were hiring administrators at almost four times the rate that we were hiring teachers. And, of course, if this at all produced fantastic student outcomes, fine. But statewide, uh, from among our third graders, only about 40% of them are reading and doing math at grade level. And those numbers are far worse in certain areas. You have to check mm-hmm. district by district. So the reason I mention this is that, you know, we so often talk about, well, we're spending this much or that much on education, healthcare, transportation, or whatever. And that's important. But we also need to look at what we're spending that money on and what are the results that we actually generate. And I would be willing to bet that the group of people who knew intuitively the numbers that I just told you are the teachers um, who, who ought to be uh, extremely well paid. And when we did that study in 2018, we looked back and said, well, what if the administrator growth, and we did it specifically with district-level administrators, what if that administrator growth uh, had been parallel with the student growth and the excess compensation were divvied up among the teachers? And I'm doing this from memory, but I think the number was in 2018 dollars, every teacher would have gotten an average increase in compensation of about $2,600 a year, which, you know, if you use $50,000 as a, as a baseline at the time, that's over a 5% raise. Yeah. Um, so I just throw that those numbers out there, but but I think it illustrates the point. And I think that the this the, the importance of looking at how we spend our money and having uh, clear, uh, measurable objectives and then measuring ourselves against those is going to become increasingly important um, if we hit an economic downturn and if we see a, uh, a, a, a budget crunch, which I, I think we're probably going to to encounter here going forward. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I was going for. It's as the steward of the money, you're in a position to actually look where it's being spent and spent effectively, correct? Well, you, you are, and there are, there are resources that you can use. Uh, I think there's plenty of data available. It's just a question of, of working working with the right people and, and mining the data uh, successfully. And, and I, think, I think it's very important to have these conversations starting with the data. Yeah. And, and if, if, if somebody sees a problem in the data you're working with, well, then, then let's agree on it. But it tends to dial down the temperature of the conversation yeah. um, if, you, if you start with, with measurable data and then, uh, and then work from there. And one thing that you you mentioned, and we don't want to turn this into a 20-hour conversation because it would probably take a week to get through it, para. Yes. So there are so many people in Colorado tied to para. I even have a para retirement account that I was unaware of just because I worked for the state for four years, you know. Um, What... What do you think going forward? What is what would you do with Para? I know over the years, specifically about ten years, there's kind of a shakeup with it a little bit. Um, give me some solutions for that. Before I'm going to tell you, before you do that, my husband is a, is a teacher. Uh-huh. So what you are about to say is really, really, <laughs> yes. really important. It's right going to ricochet around. <laughs> it's going to ricochet around your kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, for anybody who who really wants to do some some research on this, uh, uh, there are a couple places you can you can look. Um, 
one, there's an annual report put out by Para itself, which you which you can read. Um, two, there's a, a series of articles written by Vincent Carroll, who used to write for the for the Denver Post, um, who did a a very good. He was on this for a number of years, and reading through those would be very helpful. And then a reporter by the name of Brian Eason also did some great work on this. So that's sort of some background. Um, in 2018. And and yes, there is a there is a history of this, and mm-hmm. we could spend some time talking about it. Um, but in 2018, Para was at the edge of a cliff, and we were there. Are very very few things in the legislative world where the the patient is literally bleeding out on the table. Mm-hmm. This was one of those, and so. Uh, Fortunately, there were a group of folks in the legislature, Republicans and Democrats, and I give huge credit to the people on the other side of the aisle who were part of this who wouldn't have been able to happen without them. Um, And we were able to put together a compromise um, in which not only did we make adjustments that put it on better footing, but it included some what are called adjustment mechanisms so that if para gets off the trajectory to this is all based on it being 100% funded on a 30-year timeline by 2048. If we get off of that, and we have a couple of times, then these adjustment mechanisms kick in, and they require sacrifices and contributions by the members themselves. So undoubtedly at your house, you've looked and seen that there are the contributions have gone up. Also for employers, so think school districts and other uh, uh, government entities, so the taxpayers. Retirees have seen their COLA adjustments go down. That's a big impact. Yes. And one important part of this is that the state legislature was, was responsible for putting $225 million into PARA every year on a straight line. One of the big challenges, and it, we saw it this year, is that $225 million. In 2020, that was suspended due to budget budget worries. Well, the committee that I, the subcommittee that I sit on, made a recommendation, and legislation was uh, was proposed um, that would have made up in this past year when the state was pretty flush with cash, um, not only the 225 from 2020, but the time value of that money. Para is all based on time value yeah. of money. Well. There were a lot of back and forths, and the bottom line is that the legislature did not ultimately follow through on that. And we just saw numbers that by 2030, PARA will be $200 million shy of where it should have been if we'd followed that 2018 reform legislation. So when you ask me what is important about this, the first thing is holding the legislature's feet to the fire to make sure that they continue to put in the money that they are obligated to under that legislation. And I am very concerned because in a year where we were flush with cash, um, we were not able to come up with a plan to continue doing that. And uh, money and and. I think it would have been a place where we could have used some of the one-time dollars we have to benefit our members uh, going forward. So that's one big issue, too, is we need to take a continue to look at the actuarial assumptions because people are living longer. That's a great thing, but you still have to stretch the dollars further. Um, and then I think also some candid conversation, more candid conversation with para members about what's going on and why is, is helpful. Because the more conversations I have like this with people, and they can get sort of complicated and nerdy, the more people start to understand why we're doing what we're doing. But I am very, very committed to to keeping Para 
um, uh, strong and stable for its for its members um, and doing it in a way that's fair to the taxpayers. I mean, it, I could go on, and I, mm-hmm. I apologize, I but think, hopefully that answers at least some of your question. Along that vein, one of the biggest concerns that I've had of late with regard to um, how that money is managed is that there's some um, – pressure put on how and where and who to invest with based entirely on um, a political position or a political, not even a policy position, but rather uh, an agenda position. Political lens. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And, and it's an, it's a very, very, a very, very important subject. And you're right. Um, I believe very strongly that um, fiduciary duty matters, and that is a duty to maximize the benefit, the long-term financial sustainability of PARA uh, for its members. And that's a fiduciary duty that I'll have and every other board member has. Um, I agree with PARA does have a policy right now that financial sustainability uh, predominates over every, over everything else. Um, and I believe we should not be bringing social and political uh, issues into how we invest our money or into, or into the investment managers that, that we hire. I think it's, it's just incredibly important for, uh, for para and for other money that the state manages. So as we're getting ready to wrap up here, um, why should people vote for you? I, first, first of all, I think I've got a commitment to service, which you, which you can see, um, and the, the necessary background and experience and, and frankly, interest in these, in these issues. And finally, I do think I have a record of, of, you know, delving into the details and that I will work across the aisle, but I will restore some balance to our statewide leadership on economic issues. And we simply just don't have that right now. And where can people find more information about you? My website is Sias for Colorado. So it's S-I-A-S for Colorado.com. Love to have your support and appreciate your interest. Thanks, Lane. We appreciate that. Um, a couple of housekeeping things. Um, so our Action 22 annual meeting is happening on the 21st and 22nd of October. It'll be here in Pueblo at the at Water Tower Place. Um, we It's going to be, you know, we want to do it a little bit different every single year. It's my weird competitiveness with myself that I want it to look and feel a little bit different than everything else you see. So we're going to have um, some really great speakers that you're going to be um, surprised and inspired by. Um, and then, of course, we'll have, um, you know, the, the ones that we usually have. Um, but mostly it's going to be people you haven't heard from before. Um, we are going to do a ballot measure debate. We're not going to do um, regular debates. And for our candidates who are running for office, who are Action 22 members, we're actually going to do kind of a candidate expo. We're going to give you a chance to introduce yourself to everybody, but we're going to give you a chance to actually interact with the members who attend. Um, so that's coming up then and then we have a kind of a cool surprise for you on Friday night because our meeting goes from noon to noon um, on that Friday night we're all going to go to the hockey game here in Pueblo together to the Bulls hockey game and so um, it's going to be a lot of fun um, I'm you know ever cognizant of by the time we get to that point and the ballots are just out and um everybody has voter fatigue by then, um, that we're all going to come together and have some fun together and actually have conversations that really matter. It's not a sound bite event. So that'll be, um, again, the 21st and the 22nd. Um, Tickets go on sale for that. Um, If you're an Action 22 member, they'll go on sale later this week for that. And so you can just go um, to our Action 22 website or you'll also be getting, um, if you're on our email list, you can get that. What else? 
Uh, the website will be updated this Thursday, which is probably when you're listening to this now. So mm-hmm. it should be updated now. Um, just the quick disclaimer that I say every show that I always forget. Um, Action 22 does not endorse or support candidates. What we do is support our members. So if you're, you are an Action 22 member and you're running for office, you this is an open invitation to come on our show. Just email us at show at action22.org or call one of us. I'm sure you have our contact info. Come on, tell us what you're about and why people should vote for you. We appreciate it. And we appreciate all of the um, all of the candidates who are Action 20 members adding to that library. If you want to watch any of those uh, past episodes that we've done this uh, for the 20 uh, or the 2022 session election year, you can go to our website at action22.org and see any of those. Um, and if there's, you know, we've heard some rumors that we're, you know, picking and choosing who we um, get on the show. That is not true. If you are an Action 22 member and you're running for office, we don't care what on what level, let us know. We're going to get you on the show. Um, what else? I think that's about it. Okay. Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. Um, I've got Lang here, who you you big, magnificent nerd. Um, I've got Lang here who, if you heard, if you were listening early on, is uh, was an instructor at Top Gun. So if you're really sweet and actually show up to some of our meetings, I'll get you an introduction. You can pick his brain all about it. Um, and we're not calling you Rooster. I don't care what you do to your face. So <laughs> that's right. it. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.